Bob here, Rock School of Music, with the legendary Mr. Jeremy Popoff from the band Lit. I cannot even believe that we were getting to hang out today. Thank you for your time, man. My pleasure. Good to see you, man. Awesome, awesome. Great to see you as well. I'm glad that uh, we were able to make the time for this, dude. And I'm just going to jump off. You know, we're a music school here. Um, we pivoted everything virtual back in March when the world got a little crazy and uh, thankfully we've been able to do at this point close to 4,000 lessons online at this point, but our students are still itching to get out there and play gigs and, and excited for those opportunities when they come back. And one of the first questions I always like to ask, you know, being that such a legendary band played some epic stages over the course of your career. Um, a lot of our students are newer at the game, you know, younger as musicians, maybe not in age, but just in their journey. So, yeah anxiety stayed right those sort of things are a big big thing in their mind do you have any tips for overcoming that sort of stuff man i i think that uh, it's funny because my brother and i uh, aj who's a singer of lit um and i'm a guitar player obviously um the two of us were we would we we're so such music fans our dad was a radio dj and we we grew up with albums as furniture and we grew up with record players instead of like hot wheels cars and stuff like that and uh so we in our minds you know when we were nine and seven we used to rock out you know with the air guitar and and would you know jump on the bed and pretend like we were playing a, 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 an arena somewhere you know and, and um i think by the time we actually because um, we started out playing just in front of our friends. And then we started out like getting, developing a following and things like that. But the very first time that we got to go on stage, I mean, I don't think there was any stage fright. I think it was all excitement. It was just like, yeah, we get to finally do this. And we, you know, we ran around like we were just like let out of a cage. You know, we were living out our childhood fantasies on a stage. And then, you know, that went on for probably, I mean, we were playing clubs and, and, parties and stuff like that like for 10 years before we ever played a real big show or a big stage so we had a lot of practice and a lot of time to kind of work the bugs out if you will um and overcome any sort of uh you know if there were any issues we stage fright or nerves or whatever we were able to kind of get a hold of those before we were ever put like on display in front of a whole bunch of people. But I think it's, you know, if it's something that you're passionate about and it's something that you, you really want to do and you feel like it's your calling, then I think it comes kind of natural once you get to that point. Um, but having said that, you know, I know a lot of, I know a lot of people have a terrible time with stage fright and it's like the moments leading up to taking the stage is just terrifying for them. Um, but, but that's pretty, I would say, I mean, I know people like that, but it's pretty unusual. I think by the time you're, you know, standing on the side of the stage, ready to take it, I think you're ready to take it at that point. You know, I hear you, dude. I agree. Like for me, like I'm a shy person in real life. People always find that hard to believe when they see me either on stage or, you know, in this capacity. But I think once you get on that stage, it just, you go into another gear and if you're ready, it's just going to fly. So I definitely hear what you're saying there. Yeah. Um, I, I love that, you know, you, you and your brother, you know, that that's, you know, lit, you know, two brothers in one band. Um, was there anything that you by yourself or maybe you guys together 
a particular record growing up or maybe a concert you saw where you're like, dude, that's what I want to do. A hundred percent. Yeah. The first concert we ever went to, um, we were little, we were, I was nine and he was seven. And, um, our dad took us to see Iron Maiden opening for UFO in Long Beach, California. And we had never been to a concert before. We had no idea what to expect. And we walked in, we were about two songs into, cause Maiden opened up for UFO and it was about two songs into their set. So when we walked into the arena and just saw them on stage, AJ and I immediately were just blown. Our minds just were blown and we were like, that's what we want to do. And so we knew from nine and seven, I mean, we knew from that moment on that that's what we wanted to do. And then we just got addicted to music and going to concerts and just, um, yeah, it just became, it just became the, 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 the only thing that we were obsessed with, you know? That's awesome. I always find that, you know, that question it's, Sometimes it's a band like within a similar genre of people, what they wind up doing. And sometimes it's like a total opposite sort of thing. So made in UFO. That's, that's a great first uh, show to go to. For me, I saw no doubt at a local community college in like 95. I started playing guitar in mid 90s. So like your record is huge for me. A lot of that 96, 97, 98, 99. That was super pivotal. Um, and now as a music teacher, it's still crazy to me because a lot of those songs that were so special to me growing up, I get to teach to people every single day and um, straight, honest, no bullshit. Like my own worst enemy. I'm teaching that to people nearly once a week. Like it is such like, did you, a silly question maybe, but going into the, like what was the writing of that song? Like, you know, we used to have, um, you know, another thing just to touch on real quick about the whole, I mean, Kevin, our bass player, we grew up with as well. And, um, and Alan, our original drummer, he passed away from cancer 10 years ago, but he was friends and we were friends in high school as well. Um, I think being in a band with your friends is, uh, makes it more special and it also alleviates some of that tension. Like everyone kind of has each other's back and it's almost like a, you know, it's like a football team taking the field in a way. Um, but, um, Writing My Worst Enemy was just, it, it, it just sort of happened much like all the other ones. I mean, it was, it, it, we, we had a warehouse in Anaheim, California. It was a thousand square feet that we put a stage in and we put lights in and had a PA and had all our gear in there and, you know, cool couches and funky hand-me-down stuff. And it was, it was like a man cave before there was such a thing as a man cave. And we just spent, you know, four nights a week, four or five hours a night in that warehouse and it was became kind of like our clubhouse for not just the band, but all our friends would stop by. And, um, and you know, we just, that song just sort of happened one night in that environment. I, I started playing the, the riff, um, and we just, you know, the band kicked in and then AJ had had a lyric scribbled down on a, um, we used to drive old Cadillacs and AJ had a 63 and the gas gauge was broken on it. So he would have to go get, when he would get gas, he would know how many gallons he put in and he knew he got eight miles to the gallon and he would write it down and he'd have to pay attention to the odometer to know when it was time to get gas again. And so he had this little pad of paper on the front seat of his car and he was always writing down numbers. And on this one particular page he wrote, it's no surprise to me, I am my own worst enemy. And uh, 
And so he kind of was like, oh, I have this thing. And then we just wrote it like, and we've been talking about this recently. And, and I think honestly, a lot of those words were like filler. Like, I think we were just, we were, we just blurted out some stuff and we probably thought in our minds, like, we'll go back and fix that or we'll make that line stronger or we'll make that cooler. But it just sort of took on a life of its own. And, and, and it was like, it just, it ran with, with or without us, you know? So yeah, that, it was a life changing song for sure. It's just so incredible. Like it, it, you know, part of my job every day is I get to show someone something for the first time, you know, they get to hear Nirvana for the first time, Metallica for the first time, but then it's equally rewarding when people are bringing songs to me. Like I, um, New Year's Eve coming into 2020, thinking it was going to be an epic year, right? Um, the first song that we did in a big ski resort up in Vermont, and that was the first song that we played coming into 2020 with the, the band I was, you know, a cover kind of band. And watching a room full of, you know, 21 to 24-year-olds lose their minds, you know, it, it's it's just incredible to have that magic within a song. So, I mean, that, that that's so inspiring, to hear how something like that came together in a very organic just kind of way. And that record and other monster hits miserable is fantastic. Perfect one. It's just a great, great album. Um, Thank you. Dude. I'll be honest with you. That record, we were just kind of finding our, our groove. We had an album that came out a couple years before that one. That was a lot more heavy and a lot more experimental and kind of all over the place. And I think we, we had, toured a little bit on that one and we were playing a lot and writing a lot and we were we kind of found this this thing that started to feel good and started to work for the four of us and um and um but you know half the reason i started writing songs in the first place was i wasn't really that confident in my guitar playing and i wasn't quite good enough to play along with some of the songs that i mean i was you know, I couldn't play the solo. I couldn't play any Randy Rhodes solo. I couldn't play any George Lynch solo. Um, and, you know, I would get, I would, I would learn a song and I'd get right up to the solo and I'd be like, ah, oh, man. And um, so I started writing my own songs just so that I would be able to play a song from front to back all in one, in one sitting, you know? Exactly. And I think that the, the simplicity of, of My Hour's Enemy it, and a lot of those songs is, um, is is really kind of out of a real place of just we were never we just wanted to write songs that felt good songs that people would want to crank up songs that were fun to play we weren't trying to like you know like reinvent the wheel or 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 create something that people were going to listen to on their headphones and analyze um, we tried to keep it pretty straightforward so that you wouldn't really have to think too much about it. You just listen to it and enjoy it if you like it. You know, it wasn't a million different things happening where, you know, it wasn't like a Pink Floyd record or a Rush record, you know, where, where you're like, well, what is that weird thing over here or whatever? Um, so, um, and I'm a huge fan of, of simplicity in music. I, and then when we're writing songs, even today, um, you know, if we're two minutes and 30 seconds into a song and it feels great and we've already pretty much said what we have to say, 
songs done. You know, a lot of times people will go, oh, we got to have a bridge and we got to modulate and we got to do this. We got to do that. And we're just kind of like, I mean, we only put a bridge in there if we think it's just as strong as any other part of the song. We don't we don't do anything because the rules say it should be three minutes or three minutes, 30 seconds, or it should have this structure or that structure. We just, you know, so, um, you know, we're big fans of, of um, Elvis Costello and the cars and, you know, those kind of like eighties pop rock kind of things. But then we're also, you know, my favorite band of all time is the Eagles and, and, and even listening to those old Eagles records, you know, if you watch their documentary, I mean, they weren't really sure what they were doing either. You look back now and it's been, you know, it's been 45 years or whatever, almost 50 years. And the songs are just timeless. And you're like, God, man, these, these songs were written by 20 or, you know, kids in their twenties that were just doing something that just hadn't been done yet. That that's, it's crazy, you know? Yeah. Dude, there's there's so much to unpack in everything you just said. I love that you were writing songs because some of those solos felt challenging. That was my exact story starting out. A buddy of mine, James, he could play solos. He just shredded. And I'm like, I, I can't do that, you know, when I was first starting out. So I did the same thing. I tried to write stuff. And then on the other side of what you said, we have a songwriting program here at the school. It's virtual now, but it used to be in person. And as these kids are putting their songs together, I'm always saying to them, you know, forget the rules. It doesn't matter if it feels good and you want to, you want to start with the chorus and then have a verse and then have two more choruses. That's okay. If it's a good chorus, you don't need a bridge. You don't need a solo. Like there, there are no rules. I think music doesn't have to be every record. Doesn't have to be a Niner sounds record. Every record doesn't have to be a Pink Floyd record. There, there is room for everything. And you know, it's think of it for different emotions when I want to go out and I want to have a good time and, and, and just chill or party. Like you want that music that makes you feel good. And you know, that's yeah. exactly what these kind of songs do. So um let's talk about some gear for a question because I'm kind of a gear nerd. Um what kind of um what kind of guitars are you using now? Well, I have um I'm kind of known for my tellies. Right. Uh, yeah. And so that I guess in a way, if I was gonna have a signature model, it would be a Fender Telecaster with one pickup and one knob. Um, and that one pickup is a Seymour Duncan Trembucker, which I don't know anyone else that uses that pickup. Um, and I've never, it's got a unique shape to it. It almost kind of looks like a bass pickup in a way. It's not your typical humbucker. Um, and I'm shocked that in the, you know, in the 20 years I've been using those, I haven't seen them pop up on other people's guitars and stuff because it's just such a killer tone. But, um, then I have, um, you know, I've got three or four Les Pauls. Uh, in a couple of my Les Pauls, um, Seymour Duncan actually hand-wired me some of the Trembucker pickups, but so they would fit in the, in the under the metal, the metal Les Pauls. And, um, and uh, oh, now I'm getting an echo. All right, no, that's better. Um, and then I've got two or three Duesenbergs, and all of those are proprietary pickups that are, you know, all their, a Duesenberg from, you know, the whole thing is made in Germany and they're all, everything's proprietary. So they have their own unique sound and their tremolos are their own, you know, look, they look kind of like a Bixby, but they're not. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, live, I just switch off usually 
between my Tele, my Duesenberg, uh, my Gibson, all my acoustics are Gibsons. Um, but um, I'm kind of old school in the sense, I, I, my, my rig is very simple, although I can't hook it up anymore after like have my guitar tech come to uh, even even band practice. I'm like calling FaceTime and I'm going, uh, but um, over the years, my rig has gotten more complicated the, the actual rig, the guitar and the amp and the pedals are the same, but the way it's all hooked up for, you know, with the wirelesses and with the AB and all, because I'll switch guitars sometimes in the middle of a song and um, everything's just designed for, you know, it's really designed for playing live. In the studio, I use, I have a Kemper um, that I modeled a couple of Marshalls from and, um, I'll usually use stuff that's in the box and then I'll reamp them later with some, I've, you know, four or five prized Marshall heads that I've been collecting over the years that just, you know, are the bread and butter of my tone. It, that, that tone is a Marshall JMP, you know, 50 watt or hundred watt or a JCM 800 and, um, and a yellow boss super overdrive, you know, that the SD one, the, the Marshall, the old Marshall with the SD one with the Trembucker and the Tele, that's my tone. If if you know, if if I had those three things, I could play an hour and a half show. You know, I mean, I would miss my whammy pedal and my my uh, my phaser and all that stuff, but I could get through one with just those three things. Very cool. Yeah, I was going to ask about uh, modeling, but you mentioned the Kemper. A lot of the people I've spoken with, that's like such a strong divide where they're like. Axe effects or Kemper or the new uh, neural quad cortex, which is like the hot new thing that no one can get their hands on. And then there's the other camp that's just like two bamps all day long. And I think, you know, like you're saying, finding the balance of the two is probably the best way to, you know, go into that. Well, I use them both live. How it started, I'm so, you know, I haven't been to a NAM show in 10 years. I don't read guitar magazines. I don't really freak out about gear. I kind of like what I like and I've just been happy with that for so long. Um, but the, uh, we were playing, th this was probably about five years ago or so. We were, we were flying around doing a lot of shows and one night we'd be playing, you know, on an amphitheater stage. And then one night we'd be in a club and then another night we'd be at a casino. And then another night we'd be at a, you know, at Sturgis or whatever. And it was like the, the rooms were changing so much that um, our monitors were super inconsistent. And a lot of times, you know, if we fly out somewhere to do a show, I'll rent, you know, a couple Marshall half stacks. But Marshalls are one of the best things about them. And one of the worst things about them is no two really sound the same. So you have to find a good one. And, um, so usually, even though I only use two on stage, they usually have to bring out three or four. And then my tech finds the best one, and then that's the one I'll use that night, and then I'll have one for a backup. But um, I went to my tech one night, and I was just like, man, because I remember back in like 99, 2000, bands like Sum 41, and um, there was a couple bands that were using those little red pods. Remember those? Yeah. Uh, yep. Kidney bean. Yeah. yeah. And that they were using that, they were using it for their live sound. And that used to blow my mind. I was like, that's insane, you know? And um, no stage volume, super trippy. But I went to my guy one night and I was like, man, 
just for the sake of our monitors only. I'll still have my amps on stage. I'll still have air blowing behind me. But what if we use like one of those old pod things or something and we could just have that come through the wedges and come through the in-ears and that way it's consistent every night. So it'll be easier for AJ's vocals and just be easier for us to lock in. And he kind of laughed at me like a pod really. And, and uh, he was like, no, you got to check out this Kemper thing. And he told me about it and I was just like, ah, dude, that's just, that's way too much technology for me. And I'm, I'm a tube guy. I'm a purist. And I don't want to um, go down some rabbit hole, some new cockamamie, you know, robot or whatever. And then I heard one and then I modeled my two favorite marshals and we A-beat it and you could not tell the difference. And still to this day, that was five years ago. I have my one setting on my camper. I don't ever touch the knobs. It's just, we flip it on. It's, it sounds just like my Marshall JMP and that's it. And, but I still use my Marshall, but we use that through all the um, monitors. And then if my front of house guy wants to blend it in, depending on the room, if he needs that pure signal without, you know, in case the mic, I'm notorious for like kicking my mic off the cabinet or, you know, doing stuff like that. He can easily just put, put the Kemper in there and, you know, can't really tell. So I'm a believer in it now after hearing it. I was, I definitely kicked and screamed about it. I was not a fan of the idea of a fake Marshall. Right. <laughs> but that's a great way to think of it. Um, I was talking last week, my interview with this uh, Adam Schoenfeld and he does like all the yeah, awesome dude. And yeah. he was saying on the, uh, on the uh, Tim McGraw uh, shows, he's using the Kemper just as a, as a head basically, but still running his pedal board right through it. So it's like similar to what you're saying. It's this digital world that you can live in, but still have some of those analog things you're used to using combining it. So it's, I think finding yeah. that is the most pure way to make it all work together. Well, another thing too, that what's great is the, the consistency is, is, is the key to those, but also, um, I can fly with them. I don't have to worry. I would never fly one of my old Marshalls. Right. You know, uh, they're just too fragile for that. But a Kemper, you drop it off a building and it's still, there's nothing, you know, a tube's not going to go flying out of it or a socket yeah. or any of that kind of stuff. They're pretty bulletproof. And I'm hoping my guy backed up my model um, just in case something happens to it. We can, <laughs> we can dump it into a new Kemper. But <laughs> it's a guy that I actually have to ask him, make sure. But, um, yeah, it's made it a lot easier for, for flying and traveling because it's just one of those things that you can just, you know, case it up in a, in a, in a road case and just, you know, check it as baggage and it just, you know, gets there in one piece every time. So I'm not going to Yeah. Um, how was, you know, this is for all musicians, 2020 was a bit of a nightmare, um, kind of putting everyone's career to a little bit of a halt. And then even 2021 is seeming not to be as hopeful as it was in terms of gigs but um i understand you guys late had some new music you're working on did you have a bunch of gigs that were lined up for last year this year pushed forward i saw there's a i saw something on instagram a bowling for soup uh thing but that's 2022 i think i saw it was so that the the uk tour with bowling for soup was supposed to be like right now i think or coming up it was supposed to be how was it supposed to be last year? I think it was supposed to be last year. Supposed to be, uh, it was like losing track of months and days, but it was oh, supposed to be. Nightmare. 
<laughs> it was supposed to be a few months ago. We were, we were going to do that. We're going to do uh, uh, our own London headlining show, and then everything got moved to this year around the same time. And then they just moved it back. It looks like maybe fall or potentially uh, um, 2022. Um, we just they just announced today that the Monsters of Rock. Um, island it was supposed to be a cruise then they're moving it to an island and um that was supposed to be happening in a couple months that got moved um so it everything just keeps getting pushed so it's hard to say we were able to sneak in a couple last year um one live stream and we did go and play sturgis and we went and played another show in texas but it just got to be uh it, it just was challenging it was safe we felt safe especially sturgis i mean they were that was as safe as any show could have possibly ever been, but um, it just becomes challenging because you can't book airplane tickets and hotels and you know crew and all that stuff, knowing that there's a 50-50 chance it's going to get pushed again. So I think most bands just kind of said, let us know when we go back to work. And in the meantime, we're working on new songs, we're writing, we're recording, just doing everything we can to stay busy that doesn't require us to, uh, you know, to... Well, not require us. We would love nothing, nothing more than to go play tomorrow. But um, you know, as soon as they let us, we will. But in the meantime, we've got at least we've got enough work to do. Uh, we got a, we have a new record deal. We've got a new um, a new team. You know, so everybody's ready to put new lit music out, and um, so we're excited. And we've got enough enough to keep us busy right now with that. That we it's it's. I mean, thank God we were, aren't done making a record and we're waiting to be able to go tour. That would suck, you know? Yeah, I think it's, um, well, first of all, everyone that I spoke to from your team and setting this up was incredible people. So you were, you're in, you got a good team around you. They were just complete angels to communicate with. Thanks, man. Yeah, they're, they're all awesome. Not always the case. So <laughs> thank you. <laughs> yeah. But I think that's exciting, you know, to see, obviously, it's it's heartbreaking to see everything you know this get the calendar looks one way and then all of a sudden it's blank and then it looks one way again three months later and it's blank but to see all these really cool bands take the time go back to the studio make some more music make some more music i think once you know whenever it is okay there's just going to be like a cannon shooting out of all these epic shows great records coming out so it's exciting it's like the harvest is soon, you know, everything's getting planted yeah. now and soon we're going to start being able to reap the rewards of that. Well, the only, the only thing about that that we're nervously self-conscious about is this may be the longest we've gone without playing a show. So like our first few shows back are going to be like a little nerve wracking. I don't know if I would, I don't know if it's going to be stage yeah. front, but I'm, I'm not looking forward to seeing the playback of, of the first one or two, because it's going to take us a minute to remember like, Oh, okay. Yeah. Forgot about that. But, um, cause dude, I mean, we've been playing, <laughs> you know, I think, um, most years we, I mean, even a, a slow year is, you know, close to 50 shows. So, um, you know, to, we played two last year, like <laughs> it's, you know, it's a little, my fingers are going to be sore. My, you know, my ears are going to be like hard. a complete hard reset. Yeah, I think fingertips. Like I'm teaching music every single day, but I'm used to gigging also. Like I used to do uh, acoustic shows with uh, my girlfriend. She's a singer, so we'd play like three to five nights a week at various different venues. During COVID, we decided to throw ourselves back into our original music. So we put out a couple of singles, some rock stuff, and then one of the songs got remixed into a dance thing, and that's a whole nother world. 
but I've been tracking some guitars this week and teaching guitar is different than playing guitar in a practical manner. So I've been trying to get this lead for the past like three days and my hand is on fire and I'm like, wait a second. Like, Oh, that's what those kids feel like. I guess we should be nicer to them because it hurts. I know you lose it, man. When you're, when you're, when you're doing it all the time, you don't even realize how, you know, how conditioned you are. And then, and then, but I guess it's like anything else. I mean, the first time back in the gym, people are probably like, can barely walk for a couple days, you know? Right. Right. Um, so if you were trying to think which direction I want to go, let's go this direction. All right. So if someone were to start off in the music industry, um, what tips would you give them? Like just something you've learned along the journey, you know, when, when, when that first record gets real big and then sustaining that and lasting, you know, I've been a band for 20 plus years, still playing all these gigs, still flying all around. Like that's, that's the dream really. So what would you say to someone who's just starting to prep them for the ride? Wow. I mean, I think if, if, if you're somebody who this is your calling, like being in a band and being on tour and, and, traveling and doing all that and and and, um then you know as opposed to just somebody who wants to learn how to play guitar for fun or you know play keyboards to you know entertain their family uh, over the holidays which is totally cool too but like i think if you're gonna if you're gonna do it for a living and that's your dream and your goal um our thing was always you know don't don't take no for an answer don't um, can't really have a backup plan. You have to eat, breathe, sleep, drink everything into your songs and into your band and into your, and now we live in this world of social media where, you know, one of your students could potentially put something out tomorrow that could be viral next week. And they could have, you know, a hundred thousand followers on TikTok all of a sudden and, and be sort of that it's sort of equivalent to having a hit song on the radio, you know, 20 years ago, before we used to have to put a song out or shop a song and then get a record deal and then go into the studio. And then six months later it would come out and then a few months, you know, and it was a long line of steps in the process. Uh, and now those steps don't exist in that same way they still do but there's other options now that they didn't used to have but um but that's also a little bit scary too because whether it's somebody going viral on social media or somebody winning a talent show on tv um there's definitely a lot of very young inexperienced people that get kind of tossed into the machine unexpectedly and that could be pretty brutal too. Um, so I would encourage everyone to spend, you know, write all the time, practice all the time, you know, do your homework all the time, really just, um, be ready. Cause you know, it may take you 10 years or it may take you a couple weeks, but right. <laughs> do as much as you can to be prepared for the, the rigor and the, and the, the craziness that, that it can really be. And that goes for even just maybe you don't make it and maybe you're just struggling for 10 years, but you got to get those calluses and you got to get that thick skin and you got to get that, that those miles under your belt, you know, even if you're just 
you know, if you're playing on Broadway in Nashville every night, you know, you, you're still, you're, you're earning your stripes and your scars, you know, and you, you gotta just, you gotta enjoy that part of the process, the grind, the hustle, the rejection, the, all that stuff is part of it. And it's probably a really important part of it because it helps you get better, but it also helps prepare you for, you know, what's down the road. Cause there's, even after you have a lot of success and you have a hit or two or you gold record for your wall, or you're playing in front of, you know, 10,000 people, you're still going to feel all those same feelings. You're still going to get rejected. The radio may not play your next song or the label hates your next record or your video comes out like crap. And you're like, ah, oh, you know, there's the disappointment never stops coming your way. So learn how to deal, learn how to deal with, all that stuff. And then the good times and the glory will mean that much more to you when they happen, you know? And even if that's playing at your local club in front of a hundred of your closest friends, that that's awesome. Like that, when we first did that, we thought we made it. We were like, shit, this is great. You know? Yeah, man. I, I, that's tremendous advice. Thank you for that. And that's definitely something we try and put out there, you know, like, not everyone who picks up a guitar is going to go on to be Eddie Van Halen or Taylor Swift or anything like that. But I think having that grit to see it through. And then, yeah, if you're still out there and you're making a living playing someone else's music, you're making a living, you know, mixing records, it's still music. You're still in the business, you know? So it, it's still awesome to yeah. see the bigger picture. Well, and there's so many things, there's so many people out there making great music now on their laptop. Um, you know, we used to have to play shows and sell merch and, you know, pedal our wares and scrape up enough money to go into a studio to make a demo, to then try to play it for people or to try to sell it to people so they would know our songs. And that, you just don't have to do that anymore. There's kids making great demos on their, on their, on their laptops and they're, you know, and they're taking off. They're going viral. There's hit songs on the radio that there isn't a real instrument on it, you know? Um, so there's a lot more um, options and freedom and kind of possibilities out there that didn't used to exist for us. So, I, you know, I think they're, they're, um, people are getting a lot more proficient in making music way earlier than what it used to take, you know? Totally. Totally. I think, you know, like when I was first putting my bands together, uh, late nineties, early two thousands, right. When you guys are blowing up, I think we're of that last generation that going into a studio was something you had to save up for and getting the CD pressed up and, and all those things. And like all of a sudden post 2007, you could just, the software came with your laptop. And now like I'll talk to younger students and I reference stuff because to me, like 1998 was yesterday, but that's obviously not the case. Yeah. So I'm talking about stuff and they're like, dude, that's like four years before I was born. I'm like, oh my God, how, how old are you? Um, yeah. It, it, it's like a blessing and a curse. It's, it's, it's almost taken advantage of because they don't understand what it used to take. But at the same time, all these people are getting this platform and this opportunity that they would have never had or, or had to work a lot harder to achieve, you know, a couple decades prior. Yeah. Well, and the, and the other thing too is, I mean, just speaking of software and like, you know, what you can get with logic for a couple hundred bucks and the, the, the opportunities that are in the box are 
you know, you could really make some cool stuff with that, you know, and um, it's, uh, and, and there's a lot of like, you know, track guys that are really great at quickly, you know, as you're writing a song, they're building the track and, you know, three, four hours goes by when you're done, you've got a song written, but you also have this track that's, that's presentable to, you know, to your management company or your record company, or even just to your friend to go, Hey, what do you think of this song? Um, it, you know, you can, you can go from zero to written song and demo in the same day, which 20 years ago just does, didn't exist, you know, unless you were already in the studio spending, you know, a couple grand a day and, um, all that stuff. But, uh, so I think it's great. I think I, I'm excited about like, I think it's exciting to see young people have that technology in their, at their fingertips now and can get really good at it and actually could do really well. You know, it used to be 10 years ago, if you were just a track guy, you would get hired for a songwriting session or whatever, and you get, would get paid by the hour. And now they're third writers, fourth writers. They're in their, they're, they're getting a stake of the song. You know, you, you, you can be a great, track guy and not even a good player and have a career in songwriting or a career in producing, which is, was awesome. You know, when, 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 you know, 20 years ago, when we went to make a record, there was five guys on our list that, that we wanted to produce us. And, you know, they were thousands and thousands of dollars to, to hire. Sometimes they were booked out six months and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, that's not the case anymore. So, uh, you know, it's an exciting time. Yeah. I think the accessibility and that was kind of my initial idea in doing these interviews was part of what I think made, made, made and will make again in the future. This school special was the, the energy an amazing transference of energy. We would have, you know, someone would come for the guitar lesson and when their lesson was done, they stick around for another three hours sitting in the front, watching whatever concert DVD I had on jumping into a drum lesson, jamming, like it was very organic and, and, you know, it had a, a good DNA to it. And then, um, you know, COVID took that away. So I wanted to do these interviews with people to show like there's other musicians out there living the same lives that we want to live or we're trying to live or we are living. And just to kind of share these experiences back and forth, it makes the world feel a little bit smaller. Um, there's this new social media thing called Clubhouse. Have you seen that yet? Yeah, I'm on there. Oh, dude, I'll follow you. I just got on there last week. I, I, I it's incredible the people you get to hang with and just everyone's just it's just a hang and that's like yeah it's like, it's like a party line uh it, it's like a yeah it's a it's like a, a virtually live podcast with a bunch yeah. of people just taking turns talking I, i've only done it a couple times i'm still kind of figuring it out but uh yeah i'm, I'm always i'm always looking for that next way of you know interacting and, and, and collaborating with, with people because, you know, not to go down the rabbit hole, but I, Facebook and Instagram are a little too big for their britches and, and uh, yeah. a, a little bit too like intertwined in our everyday lives. And I look forward to yeah. a couple other mediums coming forward and, and being up other options instead of, you know. That's why the clubhouse was exciting, but I noticed in the past week, like the rooms that used to have, 40 or 50 people now have a couple hundred people. So it's already starting to slip up, but we'll enjoy it while we can. Yeah. <laughs> I was, dude, I was on there last night, not to go on a tangent, but I just started a room talking about like finding the right sound. Cause I think as musicians, especially as guitar players, we're, you know, we tinker, we go, the knob go here, the knob go here, knob here, blah, blah, blah. 
And uh, all of a sudden there was a dude who plays on Beyonce's records and a guy who programs Steve Vai's uh, Axe Effects's, and then someone invited um, the guy from Fishbone. I'm like, what, what, what's happening? And yeah. around there, three hours, it's like, okay, I need to go to bed, but this is amazing. Yeah, um, cool. All right, so I'm going to ask you one more question about your musical experience, and then we'll jump into the, the, uh, the uh, this or that segment. So my last question in regards to... Um, the experience throughout your career. Um, do you have any, something that was super, super awesome on stage that you'd like to talk about and, or something that went catastrophically wrong and how you overcame that obstacle? Well, um, I'll tell you the catastrophically wrong part first. Um, we got the opportunity to open up for kiss. It was new year's Eve 99 2000 in vancouver canada and we had been on tour the entire year um and when i say the entire year i mean we left home in january and we were still gone for new year so we never really went home except to like drop off a bunch of stuff and sort of repack and get back on the bus but um we flew all our friends out and our families out it was like this big thing and and um I had this, and now that I think about it, I don't even think, I've got an old, I've got a Digitech whammy, the old original one, the original red one. And um, at one point, I, I had two, I think I'm on my last one. If anybody has one for sale, let me know. Um, for a while, Metallica had them on lock. Like Metallica had, had memos out to every used gear store in America and if one came in they would just call Metallica and they would just buy it because they had them you know all over the stage that each guy had like four pedal boards on stage and so I was able to get my hands on a couple but um, it was it was always on the far right of my pedal board and it's one of those things where if the red light's on it's on but if if it goes just a little bit this way and no one's paying attention it completely takes it throws your guitar out of tune. And this one particular night, we're getting ready. We're in the wings. Right? The lights go out. The crowd cheers. We're going on. We're, we only have a 30-minute set, but we're just – our friends are there. And it's Kiss. It's New Year's, and we're ready to party. And and, um, and I'm, the intro tape is playing, and I'm like, gun, 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 gun. I'm like, crap. And I look at my guitar tech. I'm like, dude, you t this is tuned standard. He's like, what? He grabs it. He puts it to the tuner again. He's like, no, dude, it's half step down is we were all half step down back in those days. And I'm, I pick it back up and I'm all, dude, that's not half step down. And I'm looking at my bass player on the other side of the stage and I'm like, give me an A. And he's giving me a note. I'm like, see, it's off. It's not. And then um, Kiss's guitar tech grabs my guitar. He's like, let me see it. Throws it on his strobe tuner. He's sitting there messing with it. He hands it back to me. He's like, dude, that's, I'm all, give me another guitar, man. Something's not right. Gives me another guitar. He puts it on the strobe tuner again, gives it to me. I'm like, I. I can't figure out what's wrong. I had, I had been getting over, um, I had like laryngitis for a couple of days and I was thinking, is there something wrong with my ear? Like I'm, it's just, it's, it's full step. It's for sure not a half step down. And all of a sudden now we're 12 minutes into our set now and the crowd's starting to go like, what the hell? And I look over, I could look over out onto the stage like 40 feet and I just see that little red light on on the Digitech, and I looked at my tech, and I was just like, "You dipshit, go turn that fucking pedal off!" And he does. And then we went out there, we played four songs, but we were so upset 
by that process that we were just out there going, this, this sucks. And that was our, um, that was our, uh, probably the worst show of our career. But then again, KISS fans are pretty, they don't really care who's opening. And this is really the only reason we went there was to get that, to get that picture. So we got the picture with the four original lit guys and the four original KISS guys in full makeup. So, so it was a success because of this, but that was probably the most mortified I've ever been on stage. Um, Gosh. And then probably one of the, I mean, there's been so many, so many like best times with so many like crazy moments, but probably the first time was Woodstock 99 playing that. And we were the first band of the live broadcast that people around the world could watch. And it was summer of 99. So again, we had been on tour for six months. We hadn't seen any of our friends or any of our family. And we knew they were all at home watching. And there was like, it was like so many people, you know, were, it was like having a Super Bowl party. People were having Woodstock parties and people were coming over and they would order it and they'd be drinking beers and hanging out, you know, barbecuing, whatever. And so before the show, we were like, let's try the, in the second verse, uh, smoke alarms going off and there's a cigarette and then burn up tail burning. We were, we were like, just do bah, bah, and let the crowd sing it. If they know it, you know, we had never done that before. And we got to do that on live TV and the crowd just, when it, when the crowd sang it back to us, we were like, holy shit. We were looking at each other. Like you could just see everyone smiling ear to ear. It was like one of the craziest things we'd ever heard. And, We've been playing that part of that song ever since Woodstock, and because it was just such a crazy moment. But and the fact that all our friends got to see it for the first time, and you know, go like, "Holy shit, they're really they're really out there doing it," you know. Dude, uh, I just got thinking of that. That's incredible. And it was the first time we tried it, and it just was so like rewarding, and and in one of those kind of pinch me moments because we were playing. I mean, we were. We were having the time of our life playing that show, but we were also super excited to get off the stage and go change and go see Corn, you know, and go see like the other bands that were playing. That like, we were so we couldn't believe we were there, you know. And although so many bands that we love were playing, and um, so yeah, that was definitely one of those like holy crap moments. That's so cool, man. That was a huge bill too. Woodstock '99 for any of the younger kids watching this. That was like the thing. That like, check it out on YouTube. Like, oh my god, to be part of that is even more legendary than I thought it was. <laughs> it, it was. It was. It was pretty insane. Yeah, I'm, it's, it's kind of sad that it hasn't been able to to uh, be done again. You know. Yeah. Something about uh the Limp Bizkit and the. The crowd surfing on the plywood soured people for a bit, but then they tried again, right? They were trying a couple of years back and they just couldn't find a spot to do it. And I hope they do. I think it's beautiful, especially now because like in the, in the streaming age, I think people are, you know, when I was a kid, if you liked rock music, you were a rock guy and you couldn't say that you liked jazz or whatever, but now it's like, everyone seems to like every genre. So it, it's, it would be a really cool mix of, of bands and artists. Yeah, you like country country guys and some yeah. hip hop guys, and it would be, um, which you know, when we we did uh, we did the Warp tour back in the day. We did it with, I mean, we had bands like Blink One Eighty Two and Pennywise and um, The Living End and you know and stuff like that. But we also had Eminem on there. Ice T was on there. 
Royal Crown Review was on there. It was a it was a real real eclectic lineup, and that was so much fun every day because we wouldn't know what time we were playing until they would they would draw names in the morning, and you know we would wake up at ten or something and find out like oh we got to play at twelve thirty or some days oh I don't have to play till five thirty. Um, but every day was was such a was such a uh, exciting time because we got to see all these great people, you know, um, cause we've always just been huge fans of, of music and, and, you know, to go from a spectator at a concert one year to being at that concert, you know, a year later, two years later, whatever is pretty cool. Yeah. It's pretty, it's pretty mind blowing. And we never, we never lost that fan perspective. Uh, and even still to this day, like we, I mean, we're, I am not shy when it comes to, I will go backstage and get, you know, get my guitar signed by somebody if I'm a big fan or um, get my picture taken with them. I'll buy the shirt. I'll buy the merch. You know, um, that was always something I swore I would never let get the best of me was just that feeling of being a, a diehard fan, you know, cause that's what, that's what brought us here. You know, totally dude. That's incredible. Really, really cool. Oh my gosh. Those stories. I'm still processing them all. Um, <laughs> All right. Before we run out, I want to get to the uh, my. So it's a, it's a series of questions. It's one thing or the other, gear related. A couple band ones too. No wrong answers, except for one has a wrong answer. I'll let you know. In my humble opinion, if, if it's all right, if we, if we disagree. All right. So, humbucker or single coil? Humbucker. Les Paul or Strat? Depends on the song, but probably Les Paul. Okay. Um, if you were in the Fender realm, is it a Strat or a Tele? For me, it's a Tele. Cool. Did I remember like one of those first times you were in Guitar World? I subscribed to Guitar World religiously when I was starting to play. And there was a picture of you in there. And I think you had a strap that was like uh, like some sort of animal print or something. It just looks so freaking cool. <laughs> I Sorry. Um, it, was, okay. it was one of the few times that, that they interviewed me because I was so untechnical. Like they're they're asking me questions about stuff that I was just like, uh, who cares? <laughs> <laughs> who gives a shit about that? Um, so yeah, I, my, my guitar magazine interview career was cut a little bit short because of that. But, uh, I remembered, I think I had the picture hanging on my wall cause I was coming up. I had all the musicians on the wall. I was like, this guy looks cool. Um, Thanks, all right. Awesome. Yeah, brother. All right. Uh, in the Gibson world, Les Paul or SG. I mean, I love an SG, but it's too, I'm, I'm six one, you know, 200 pounds. So, uh, the SG just doesn't look right on me. It looks like a, you know, fat guy in a little coat. Yeah. <laughs> um, same height, same build. So I feel you there. Um, if you were to have a bass, would it be a P bass or a jazz bass? I'd it'd probably be a P bass for practicality, but I like the shape of a jazz bass. Cool answer. Okay. For acoustics, I know you said you use the uh, the Gibson acoustics primarily, but hypothetically, Martin or Taylor? Martin. Okay, and then into some effects, would it be delay or reverb? Delay. Fuzz or overdrive? Depends on the amp, but for me, it's always been overdrive because fuzz is is like you know pouring pouring gravy over your food and. Yeah, overdrive is kind of like put salt and pepper on it. You know, you can still you can still hear what's underneath it. Yep, very cool. 
Phaser or chorus? Phaser. Okay, that's the right answer. That's the one. <laughs> Beatles or Stones? Beatles. John or Paul? Paul. I was hoping you were gonna ask that one next because because I'm also I'm such a Paul McCartney fan, and I also think that Wings would have been one of the most legendary bands of that time if it hadn't been for the Beatles, you know, because he was I was always compared, but the Wings. The Wings' greatest hits albums and some of those songs and some of those records were just incredible. Like, I totally agree. I'm a Paul guy. So, yeah, definitely. By the uh, way, you get shot in certain circles for saying that. You know. I, dude, I've, I've got like, I've, I've done this with some people and like they go and like I always ask, like, why? And, you know, whatever. Everyone's entitled to their opinion, but I, I stand by it. I think, all right, now I'm going to, I'm going to step in a big pile of shit. Okay. So I like, I like them both. I like their songwriting. I feel like if I were to try and be friends with John Lennon, we would argue. I feel like his personality type is was, rest his soul, one that would be abrasive to my personality type. So that's yeah, I can I can see that. He 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 yeah, not to take anything away from him. Yeah, and honestly, I really loved the um his his first solo record, you know, I thought it was genius. They had some great, great songs, you know. Um, you know. I'm just sitting here watching the wheels go round and round. Like that was a, that was a fucking great song, you know. But but the songs I remember, like when you hear like Jet come on, you're like, oh man, and you just crank that thing, and it's you know, shit. That was 45 years ago, and it still sounds rocking. Like it's like it's it's legit, you know. A pioneer, definitely. Um, all right, Zeppelin or Floyd? Zeppelin. Cool. Um, if it were to be Pink Floyd, would it be Dark Side or The Wall? I mean, I'll step in a pile with you right now. I, I'm not a Pink Floyd fan. Okay. Uh, never really was. I did like The Wall. I liked a couple songs from that when I was a kid. Um, but I've just never been a fan that much of, of uh, you know, that sort of, I mean, I don't know, a psychedelic a word for that. Not Maybe not really. Yeah. Just more experimental progressive that just never um wasn't my wasn't my thing you know okay. no wrong answers it's all good except for the uh, phaser um uh nirvana or pearl jam nirvana all righty and then the last one um there used to be a few others but then they just got a little too obscure so in the van halen world is it Tammy hagar or david lee roth man david lee roth era van halen is my favorite um i love those first records and i just think that that was one of the most incredible rock bands of all time but i think sammy hagar wins at life um he he figured it out and he like if there's one guy that's like man what a what a guy like he just between the living in mexico and the cabo wobble and the tequila and Oh, that's just a guy who literally has had three careers that were all extremely successful and had his post career. So I guess his fourth career as a, you know, as a restaurateur and a tequila and a spirits guy and, and just the life he lives, man. I mean, he, he has, he figured it out. So he wins, Hagar wins, but old Van Halen, if I'm going to listen to Van Halen right now, it's going to be, you know, first floor records. 
And that's a tricky question because I feel like they're almost two different bands with the separate singers. Um, but Sammy Hagar, he also found a way to stop aging. Like it's absurd that the guy is the age he is and he looks about 20 years younger and, and just doesn't change. Because he figured out how to have fun, man. He figured out how to step away from the politics of it and step away from the from the bad blood of it. And he just decided that he was going to kick ass and live his life and, and, and have a smile on his face the whole time. And I mean, he, he's fucking figured, like I said, I can't put it any other way than he's just figured it out. And I, I'm very envious of that guy, you know? Definitely. Definitely. Well, those are my questions, dude. Thank you so, so much for your time. When can we, when can we expect some new lit music? Man, we're hoping, we're hoping, you know, spring, probably mid to late spring, we'll drop our, the first song. And I think what we're, as of right now, at least the plan is to, rather than drop a whole record in the spring or in the summer, we want to just put some songs out. And then maybe at, after like a year, we'll put the album out as kind of like a, we, we compare it kind of like to a high school yearbook, you know, where you're like, oh, this is when I was on the tennis team. And then, oh yeah, and this was the football team. And oh yeah, I went to prom with that chick. And then you get it on the last day of school and everyone signs it and you're like going home, wow, I remember that. I just think that'd be cool to um, to kind of hold off on releasing the whole body of work until we get a few songs out there, you know. That's awesome. Now that could all change in two months, but that's the plan so far. So that makes a ton of sense, man. People, their attention is so small. You know, let one every let everyone appreciate each song as its own thing, and then yeah. really cool. All right, brother. Well, thank you so much for your time, man. This has been uh, my pleasure, man. Anytime. Stay safe out there and everyone, this will be up on the podcast tomorrow and I'll throw some links in the bio for everything pertinent and uh, we'll see you guys next time. Thanks so much. See you brother.